and blessings, beloved saints. Welcome to Jesus in the Real World Bible Study. This is a Bible study that I'm going to do special during the, the time of this pandemic. And uh, it's going to involve a different, different kinds of topics depending on what the Lord leads. But today, I want to talk to you about the gratitude lifestyle. The gratitude lifestyle. As I was discussing with my wife and talking about what series I should put out while we're in the situation, she said, don't focus so much on the pandemic. Focus on the person, on the Christian, on what the Christian response is, on how we should live during this time. So I think that's great advice. So let's open up with a word of prayer and then we'll hit the ground running. Let us pray. Beloved Father, we're so grateful to you for your mercy and grace. We know, Lord, that um, as the world seems to be falling apart around us and things, so many things going on and we have a heightened sense of of anxiousness and nervousness and worry and frustration. Lord, we just pray for your grace upon us as Christians. We know how the Christian is supposed to live, Father, and uh, he, you make no exceptions during the worst of times. So help us to be the kind of Christians, Father, that live in a way that glorify you, Lord, and glorify you with our lives and love on others in such a way that they have to ask why we're doing what we're doing. Give us the grace through the power of your Holy Spirit to perform mighty works mighty miracles lord of, of of grace and and compassion to our fellow people and bless and protect those father that are out there right now in harm's way in the front lines uh, heal those that have received the virus father and uh, protect the rest of us from getting it as well and uh, may we find a quick and powerful resolution lord to this whole situation so that uh, we can be able to move on lord and uh, nobody else can get sick we ask that you bless this bible study today and we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. Let's talk about the gratitude lifestyle. I'm going to read to you from Exodus 15, verses 1 through 21. Bear with me. It's a bit long, but I think it's worth it. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army has, he has cast into the sea, and the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In, and in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them like chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the, deep of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword. My hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your mighty hand. The earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble, anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia, and the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them, and the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. 
by their the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Lord, until your people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which, which you have made your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which you have hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. There are two major aspects to our lives that play a huge part in our daily health and well-being. The sad thing is, as a society, we are gradually forgetting the art and science of these two very critical and fundamental things. The worst thing is, the believer in Christ should be defined by and known for these two fundamental things. What are they? Gratitude and apologies. (laughs) There are three elements that are essential to and common to both a great expression of appreciation and a great and sincere apology. The first one being the humility and presence of mind and the self-realization that one or the other needs to be made. In the rush of life, we're losing the sensitivity and awareness that God created us with the immeasurable capacity to do both gratitude and apologies and we needing to be reminded of the great need in ourselves and others of continual gratitude and sometimes a sincere apology the second is the knowledge of exactly what it is you are thankful for or exactly what you need to apologize for this is the key to the best gratitude expressions and apologies While you can thank someone for just about anything or nothing at all, gratitude is so much more personal, meaningful, sincere, and gratifying if you say exactly what you're thankful for and why. An apology works the same way. The worst apologies we experience are the ones in which somebody says, well, I don't know what I did, but I'm sorry, all right? Being able to set aside your defensiveness, your defensive reasons for what you did and make the other person the sole focus, not yourself, your feelings or your reasons for what you did make for the best apology. A most effective apology knows exactly what we are apologizing for and why. And it shows that you care enough to get and make things right. The third thing is that Gratitude and an apology, well-timed and well-thought-out, is like a bomb to heal down to the bone and it permeates our souls. Both can have such a healing effect on a person, as we well know. Gratitude delayed or an apology too soon can have the opposite and even negative effects. My wife and I have developed this little thing uh, we do where we thank each other a lot. Then one or the other asks, why? Why are you thanking me? Well, why? It may not be necessary, but it sure is pleasing and nice to hear. Now, there are tons of research on the dynamics of gratitude. What is gratitude? Well, it is our God-wired natural response when we receive something we consider wanted, needed, or valuable. 
this is kind of this kind of acknowledgement occurs in various areas of life. Mentally, we acknowledge that we have received a valuable object by expressing appreciation and regarding the giver, and we have been wired by our creator to instinctively strive to recognize the giver of the object. In contrast, an ungrateful person does not acknowledge the value of the giver. Our lives, experiences, and even society sometimes grind away and dull the instinct in us to be grateful, many times understandably. Emotionally, gratitude is a response from the deepest part of our being and exudes a feeling of happiness and warmth when we receive something of value. It brings elation and relief in some ways. But the emotion does not occur only within us. We also seek to induce that happiness with the, the giver through, uh, through perhaps a smile, a gesture, and even a vocal expression. Physically, gratitude bonds human beings to each other, uniting people, hearts and minds united in the purest, most gratifying way possible. And spiritually, recognizing people in gratitude strengthens our spirit, but thanking God for all he has done lifts it to a higher, to a greater height and is the highest form of gratitude there is because it bonds us to our creator in a way that goes infinitely beyond our five human senses and elevates our lives in ways that cannot be expressed with mere words. What are the benefits of gratitude? Well, I call it gratitude DUI, driving while intoxicated. <laughs> gratitude gets us high. Studies have shown measurable effects on multiple body and brain systems due to gratitude. These include mood neurotransmitters like serotonin, uh, reproductive hormones like testosterone, social bonding hormones like oxytocin, oxytocin, uh, uh, cognitive and pleasurable related, related uh, neurotransmitters like dopamine, uh, our inflammatory and immune systems react, uh, it has an effect on stress hormones, cortisol, cardiac and EEG rhythms, blood pressure, and blood sugar. Gratitude generates a pleasant cessation within us physically, while God gave, gave us the ability to scientifically categorize the effects. It doesn't take anything away from the fact that only He could have put us together so well. When we are grateful, we experience happiness, fulfillment, peace of mind, and an abundance of love. It also wards off things that can eventually damage or even kill us. Gratitude helps to melt away negativity. This is a very natural way to counteract damaging psychological states um, such as stress, depression, despair, hopelessness, doubt, anger, and even suicidal thoughts. It pushes away greed and envy. Gratitude helps us to achieve emotional satisfaction in the ownership of our current possessions. Gratitude is a type of savoring. We, if we do not achieve emotional satisfaction with our current possessions, we futilely try to achieve that satisfaction with the mere ownership of more possessions. Thus, we experience greed and envy. But we will never feel contentment with regard to our goods until we savor them, enjoy them, appreciate them, through emotional actions such as gratitude. Gratitude staves off worry and fear. Gratitude helps us to be more aware of the many gifts which we receive. Therefore, we don't worry so much about the flow of gifts which will occur in the future. 
When we are grateful, we dwell on the present moment and the goodness of the past instead of the uncertainty of the future. Gratitude staves off grief. As we recognize the many gifts which we receive, we enhance our ability to be at peace with the things that have disappeared from our life and to turn our attention to the current realities we face in life and deal with them with God's process, His purpose, and His word. Gratitude works on vanity. Gratitude reminds us that we do not live alone. We survive only because we are constantly giving and receiving from others in one way or another. We experience humility as we recognize we cannot survive apart from God and His gifts and each other. Gratitude helps us to perceive ourselves as part of God's process in the wilderness journey. We become more conscious and sensitive of the many things which we receive from God, other people, from nature, and from other sources, which all revolve around God anyway. And gratitude gives us hope. Gratitude reminds us that the future is filled with the endless possibilities of blessings and being blessed by God and by others daily. It helps us to see the positive value in circumstances. Gratitude increases the possibility that we will receive more goodness in our life. Think about this for a moment. If simply on the human level, gratitude has this deep and life-altering effect on us, how much more when gratitude is lived and practiced the way God wants us to do it? Gratitude becomes more than just a way to live and survive better in this life. It is not something a Christian just does. It defines who the Christian is. And we are called to live an intentional and aggressive life of gratitude. One that seeks out any and every opportunity to be grateful and allows the Holy Spirit to supernaturally heal, energize, renew, reboot us, and show us how to express gratitude in the way He wants us to, in the way that your gratitude leads others to glorify our Father in Heaven. Go with me real quick to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. It says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot by men. If you are, the light of, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put, the, put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Here's the key verse. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I think that one of the ways that our light shines, one of the ways that we uh, make ourselves salty again is through gratitude. In this world today, now more than ever, people need to see grand and extravagant expressions of faith, hope, love, and gratitude. The world sees us bicker and complain, murmur and sulk, rant and rage, and use social media to post angry, vindictive, spiteful, bitter, mean, cruel, hurtful, nasty, and unkind things. I know this, again, because of all the chief angry posters. I 
and probably the worst. If the world sees we're no better off than they are, just as weak, fearful, hopeless, and mean, what can we possibly have to offer them? I mean, we are called to evangelize the lost. How are you going to do it in a culture that more and more every day is considering just about every outward expression of faith, regardless of how benign and personal it may seem, as extreme, or our faith in the scriptures as backward, unenlightened, or irrelevant? By expressing how? By expressing for our faith openly, publicly, and uncompromisingly, instead of mostly being seen as expressing against everything else. Well, it may take a special gift of an evangelist to preach in an arena or a street corner. It doesn't take one to live counterculture and express our faith uh, in, how, um, in how we live, in the way that we live. How much does God have to do in our lives to finally get us to stop and give him the most fundamental of spiritual offerings, praise and gratitude? We finally get to the point in the experience of Moses and the Israelites when they actually stop everything and begin to sing a song of thanksgiving and praise to God. By the way, uh, not a word of thanks, praise, or gratitude to God is mentioned all the way up since chapter 3 of Exodus. It is time they figure out in their new and very adolescent walks of faith that praise and worship will be their bread and butter, as it were, as they trek through the long wilderness of faith. One of the most surest and recognizable marks of a mature Christian and spiritual growth is the amount and level of gratitude and praise in a person's life. Who's the greatest example of this? Well, Jesus our Lord. When did he give thanks to God his Father? Continuously. When and how? Hmm, glad you asked. The first time Jesus praises God in the Gospels is in the context of God's grace and spread of the good news of the Gospel message. When he observes that all the common folk are understanding and receiving the good news of the Gospel, while others are rejecting it on the basis of their worldly wisdom and intelligence, the enlightened ones, and even after they had seen you know, all that they had seen. In Matthew 11, verses 20 to 30, it says, Then he began to de denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are, are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." In Luke 10, verses 17 to 24, it says that the, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. 
Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At that time, he greatly rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. See, the Lord rejoiced greatly that the gospel was 100% accessible to anyone who was willing to receive it. The next time we observe Jesus giving thanks is in the context of social justice, when he was feeding the poor and the hungry. In Matthew 15, verses 35 to 37, it says, And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves of the fish. And giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people, and they ate and they were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over in the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. In John 6, verses 5 to 13, it says, Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that the large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where do we, are we to buy bread so that they may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in numbers about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed them to who were seated. Likewise also the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. By the way, what does John the Apostle remember most about this incident? Well, uh, that's in John 6.23 when he says, Then there came other small boats from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread together after the Lord had given thanks. The place where the Lord had given thanks. Why emphasize that tidbit? Hmm. Then we observe Jesus giving thanks in communion and spiritual fellowship with his disciples. Matthew 26, 26 to 28. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for forgiveness of sins. He does the same in Mark 14, 22-24, and in Luke 22, verses 19-20. to In John, there's no communion narrative, but the supper and then the washing of the disciples' feet afterward in John chapter 13. We see Jesus giving thanks in the situation where he's going to build up and strengthen the faith and belief of the people by raising Lazarus from the dead. In John chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. By the way, miracles in and of themselves cannot uh, cannot make someone believe uh, but not have faith. It only confirms the faith or unbelief already in our hearts. 
The final time we see Jesus give thanks in the Gospels is after his resurrection, in fellowship and spiritual communion with his disciples, and that's in Luke 24, verses 13 to 30. And behold, two of them were going that way to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood looking sad. One of them named Clopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which had happened here these last days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus of the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to sentence of death and crucified him. But they were hoping, but we were hoping that he would be the one who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the woman had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Do you think that God notices whether or not a person is grateful to him or not? Let's ask Jesus. In Luke 17, verses 11 to 21, we have this incident. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. He was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found to return and give glory to God except this foreigner? He said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. As a new believer progresses in their spiritual walk and developing a true and authentic faith, there comes a point in our lives when we have to begin to train and nurture in ourselves the art and discipline of praise and gratitude, both individually and collectively. We have experienced God's power, His salvation, and deliverance, His process in our lives, and now comes a time for praise and thanksgiving in our life of the believer while we are on this trek in our wilderness. Gratitude is the biggest difference between a mind-filled faith and a saving faith. It is simply amazing how we have obscured and overcomplicated praise and worship to God in today's society and around the world. Countless treatments and books and sermons on the right and proper, appropriate ways to worship God. We also seem to try to make it easier for ourselves and minimize worship 
by first creating canned formulas and methods for individuals and for corporate worship. Such prescribed formulas and rituals filled with special prayers, readings, morning devotionals, and inspirational meditation, spiritual songs, etc. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of these except if you believe once you have done your due diligence, you did your duty, God has checked you off, given you spiritual credit, and you're done for the day. You can check off that box off your list for the day and then move on with the, you know, to go on to live your life. That's when it becomes a problem. Not that any of these things in action in and of themselves are wrong and unspiritual, but you are limiting worship in a way that you can actually stunt and stymie your spiritual progress. Unless these are only a small part of your entire life process of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. By the way, what exactly does that mean anyway? Anybody know? It's so simple, it has become complicated. Worshiping God in spirit and in truth is just like God says in Exodus 13, 8 verses 10 to 10. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of God is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Why does God want them to practice these things? Remember the definition of gratitude? A reaction or response for receiving something of value from God we either wanted, needed, or of surpassing value? Worshiping in spirit and in truth is the exact same thought and concept as the sign on your hand and on your forehead. You worship God with your faith, spirit, forehead, mind, and your actions, truth, your right hand, your hand of action. The second way we complicate the act of worship and praise is believing that uh, <clears throat> having been programmed and convinced that praise and worship is just solely the five, ten minute segment in the church service program before we get down to the sermon. And again, this severely stunts and limits the blessings, power, and the glory of grace of God in our lives. Worship is a lifestyle. And if it ends with a few moments on Sunday morning, some scattered praise songs throughout the week, and then like the Israelites, we will have to endure so much hardship, heartache, trials, and tribulations before we can truly see and enjoy the power of God in our lives. Um, we grow and mature spiritually, and we demonstrate to the entire world just how marvelous and magnificent our God is when we show him gratitude and therefore we effectively evangelize the world without ever having to preach or having the world accuse us of shoving Jesus down their throat. We reach the laws primarily by showing our love for Christ in our lives, not just continuously and contemptuously speaking against the world, even though they might deserve it. The way the world is headed, this is the only true and effective way we will be able to say like the Apostle Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8 Let us not be like another individual in the scriptures who gave thanks to God, but in the worst possible way imaginable. Luke 18, verses 9-14 and he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. 
two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Another way that you could read that is for the tax collector to have said, God, let this sacrifice apply to me. He knew he needed it. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. A life defined for God through supernatural gratitude will by its nature show itself to be against all the sin, evil, corruption, and unbelief in the world. You don't need to go looking for it. Here's a spiritual truth or promise from Jesus from uh, in the Bible that can be found in all four Gospels. And another verse for your Bible promise books. Everyone will hate you because of me. Matthew 10, 22. Luke 13, 13. Uh, Mark, I'm sorry, Mark 13, 13. Luke 21, 17. John 15, 18. At some point, past, present, and future, Jesus says this. John 16, verses 1 through 3. These things I have spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think they're offering a service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. If this is too much for you, then don't worry. All you have to do is sit yourself down at the edge of the sea of your wilderness. Wait for the world to come and get you and take you back. No faith required, none needed, none given. Okay then, Gil, you'll say, how the heck are we supposed to worship God then? Well, allow me to use a practical, real-life illustration. You brought forth children into the world. You applied your process, for better or for worse, to raise them. Eventually, they begin to reject your process and start to employ their own. Eventually, hopefully, they recognize that you had their best interests at heart. And you did everything you could to help them succeed, saving them mostly from themselves to survive and become who they are. What would you think is the best way they could thank you for everything you did for them at bare minimum? I would dare guess the majority of us, me and my wife included, is that they would go on to live better lives than we ever could and provide for their children better than we could as well. What would be icing on that cake? If they went the extra mile with their gratitude by remembering us, expressing gratitude to us, sharing their lives with us, dinners, presents, care, concern, compassion, any sincere expression of love and gratitude we can get. We live for and feverishly desire these things from our kids and our grandkids and rejoice when they do unexpected and unsolicited kindnesses to us because they appreciate us as their parents. Who doesn't feel this way? How does God want to, worship, want to be worshipped? Well, probably the same way. He created us and brought us into this world. He applied his process to raise us. We eventually rejected his process and began to employ our own. Eventually, hopefully, we recognized that God had our best intentions at heart and did succeed in saving us, mostly from ourselves, to survive and become who we are. What would you think is the best way that we could thank God for everything He did for us at bare minimum? 
The scriptures tell us God wants us to go on to live obedient, victorious, abundant, and fruitful lives. Better lives than we could ever do on our own and provide for our children as well. What would be icing on God's cake? If we went the extra mile like the healed Samaritan leper who came back loudly praising and thanking God. By remembering God and expressing our gratitude loudly, publicly, sharing our lives with God through worship, faith, fellowship, prayers, praises, songs, and the study of His Word. Care, concern, compassion, and any sincere expression of love and gratitude by serving His sheep, both the lost and the found. God seems to live for and feverishly desire these things from His kids. God has no grandkids. And rejoice, he rejoices when we do unexpected and unsolicited kindnesses to him just because we appreciate him as our God. By the way, unlike humanity, God doesn't need it for us to make him understand why we are praising him and why he's being thanked. Like this song and so many others expressed through the scriptures to include Psalms. The point is not to make God understand why we're praising him. He already knows and understands the unimaginable value and necessity of what he gives us. There have been so many essays and books written about the self-centered, narcissistic nature and conceited nature of God in the Old Testament and how petty and silly it is for an all-powerful, all-knowing being to demand and require gratitude, praise and worship for his, from his creation. Boy, did they miss the point entirely. Too knowledgeable and intelligent for us, I guess. The true purpose of expressing gratitude to God through praise and worship is, listen carefully, for us, us to grasp the, and understand the priceless gift we have been given and to properly acknowledge and appreciate the gift giver. If we truly committed ourselves to thanking God appropriately, we would never stop. The scriptures tell us when we finally do get it and we fully understand his entire purpose and plan, we will praise him infinitely for eternity. And if my pea brain truly understands, apparently even that won't be enough time. King David did grasp this in 1 Chronicles 23, 25-31. For David said, The Lord God of Israel has given rest to his people, and he dwells in Jerusalem forever. Also, the Levites will no longer have to carry, need to carry the tabernacle and all its utensils for its service. For by the last words of David, the sons of Levi were numbered from 20 years old and upward. For their office is also to assist the sons of Aaron with the service of the house of the Lord, in the courts and in the chambers, and in the purifying of all holy things, even the work of the service of the house of God. And with the showbread and the fine flour for a grain offering and the leavened wafers or what is baked in the pan or what is well mixed and all the measures of volume and size. They are to stand every morning to thank and to praise the Lord and likewise at evening and to burn all burnt offerings to the Lord on the Sabbaths and new moons, the fixed festivals in the number set by the ordinance concerning them continually before the Lord. Gratitude expressed by any and every means possible threaded throughout our entire life, second by second, by our lives and by our expressions of worship and praise, is the only way we will survive and make it to our promised land. This is what the entire world desperately needs to see. Beloved saints, I thank you for your time. Uh, this was a bit rough for me trying to figure out um, how long to go and how to piece it together. You'll see some rough spots in between and forgive me for those. 
but I pray that the message goes through to us loud and clear. The Christian in the midst of this COVID pandemic or any pandemic or any crisis must live the life of gratitude before God. Our focus on gratitude focuses us on God. When your God is small, your problems are going to be huge. If your God is the God of the Bible, the creator of heaven and earth, then your God is big. Therefore, everything else is doable. God bless you, saints. Take good care of yourselves. Take good care of each other. Until we talk to each other again. May God bless you.